Psalm 46. And this, the theme of this camp is refuge. Everyone say refuge. The goal of this is that we would understand twofold. It's one is that God wants to be your refuge. And God wants to use you to be refuge. And, uh, but I think for us to be refuge, we have to find refuge in God. And I think sometimes we flip it around. We try and be everything for everyone, yet we don't know how to be with God. You ever been one of those people who you slip into the habit of trying to be everything for everyone, but you don't make time for what's most important for your own self? You know what I mean? You ever done that? Like you got time for everybody, but you don't have time for you, or you don't have time for your family, or whatever. And I think it's a picture of how oftentimes we operate with God, that we want to see the fruition of what he's called us to, but we don't want to do the very first thing that he's called us to, which is to be with him. One of the things that, that, the, that the angel in Revelation wrote to seven different churches, and one of them to the church of Ephesus, which I think we can identify really good with in these days, is he said, you guys have forgotten your first love. And I think that's a picture of how oftentimes we in church world are. Is that our first, not, our first love was not religion. Our first love was not what we do. Our first love is Jesus. And oftentimes we want to see Jesus do something through us, but we don't know how to find ourselves in Christ. So I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Psalm 46, verse 1, and it's interesting, depending on the Bible you have, there might be a title above it. It says, for the director of music, a song. This was meant to be sung. We read it, but oftentimes how tradition and, and biblical principles and truths and what God said was spread, the way it was spread was by being sung. There's something about singing, something about worship. When we sing, I hear the chains falling. Man, I don't know about you, but that was a powerful moment. Because when you worship, stuff happens. When you sing, stuff happens. It makes it real. God invented music for a reason. Anyways, it says this, and I'll sing it to you. God is our refuge and strength. Okay, I'm not going to do that. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I want to read one other passage of Scripture. It's actually kind of long, but I'll read it anyways. It's Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9, and it's on the screen in case you don't want to open to it. It says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those, <clears throat> those that he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, north and south, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. But then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them, from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I want to speak tonight on this idea of the the fake cry and the ever-presence of God. The fake cry, if you're titling it, you can call it the fake cry. And the ever-presence of God. The fake cry and the ever-presence of God. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that uh, as we hear for the next few minutes your word, that it would take root in our hearts. If none of us leaves with anything but just the simple idea that you are always with us, then that's all we need. God, we thank you for your word. Let it take root. Let it change the way that we see you, see ourselves, see one another, and see our future. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, being a parent is awesome, and uh, it's, it's great. And the reason it's great is because you get to experience things that you always heard about, such as your child peeing on you. Uh, you get to experience lots of poop. You know, I've always had an affinity for poop, and uh, I like farts. I think they're funny, and the day I stop liking farts and thinking they're funny is the day I'll quit being a youth pastor. So I just, I, I enjoy it. I love the farts. I love the poops. I mean, two nights ago, Jude, my goodness, he was up seven or eight times because he woke himself up pooping, and so it's, it's really great. Um, but the, one of the fun things, you get to see yourself and your kid, you know what I mean? Like Hayden, she, you, you guys see her running around here, and you get to see yourself in, in, in them. And I wish I would have sent the picture. There's this picture Noel and I were seeing the other, we're looking at the other day. And it's a picture of Hayden at three months and a picture of Jude at three months. And she showed it to me, and it didn't have any names on it, and it was on the same kind of context. And so I said, which one is Hayden? I literally could not tell. It's crazy. And as a dad, that is so fun. It's so fun watching your kids get older. And Jude, he's starting to, some teeth might be coming in, we think. And he's just, he's getting, he's getting fuller and he's tall and his eyes are blue. And it's just awesome. Being a dad is awesome. But one of the greatest things that you get to do is you're a dad or a mom. And a skill that you kind of have to learn and develop is to how to discern the cry. How to discern the cry. Uh, you know, like, it's, it's, it's interesting. If you've ever seen a parent with their kid and they're crying, you always wonder why is that kid crying. And the, I'm going to educate you now so that as, as an adult, when you eventually have kids, you can, um, you can take these notes and it's going to make you a better parent. They're, they're, I'm going to give you some cries, and you can write these down if you'd like. The first kind of cry is the, I don't want to wear that cry. It's the, I don't want to wear that cry. You've seen Hayden running around this whole week. She's been, been wearing her fairy princess dress. The reason that she's wearing that, yes, it's cute. Yes, it is also caked with all sorts of grime and dirt. This thing is so nasty, it made our bed brown on the white uh, of it because she was sitting in it. 
Her feet were disgusting, the whole thing, because she's been rolling in the dirt. The other, earlier I saw her pick up dirt, and it was kind of muddy because it was wet there, and she just rubbed it on her stomach. I mean, this is what she did. So the other morning, I think it was yesterday morning, or two mornings ago, we're trying to put something different on her, not because we don't think it's cute, but because her eczema is starting to show a little bit more because this thing is rubbing against her, and it's so dirty. And she would not go with it. She was screaming as if, I mean, the world was falling apart. And there, it's like there's nothing really going on. It's just in her little tiny brain she can't compute how it would be possible that it would be okay that she would instead wear her strawberry dress or her pretty dress. They all have names. There's the strawberry dress. There's the pretty dress. There's the other dress, there's the princess dress, there's the fairy princess dress, there's the dress that Naharika got her. There's all these different dresses, and they're all pretty, but they all have names. And don't ever point at the wrong one. I'm just giving you a tip. If you ever babysit Hayden, you don't want to point at the wrong one. If she wants the fairy princess dress and you point at the princess dress, you might have just, ha- you might, she, she, she'll lose it. But you got to discern the cry, right? There's the, another kind of cry. It's the, I don't want to eat that cry. She loves hot dogs, but you cut it wrong. All of a sudden, you have just cut her. There's the, that didn't really hurt, but there's a lot of things going on in my life right now kind of cry. A pillow knocked her over, and it was the last straw. There's people around, I can't deal, there's emotions I'm feeling, there's that kind of cry. There's the why is my baby brother getting more attention than me cry, there's the I'm so tired that I can't sleep and I want the world to suffer with me cry. (laughs) This one is one of the worst. Yesterday... We're tired, Noel and I are up late, and Jude, you know, and this is a different environment, and they've, they've done as well as they could, but, you know, we're tired, and Noel's going to speak, and so we're trying to get them to nap so that we can lay down, and so at least Noel could lay down and get, and get a little bit of a nap, and we finally get Hayden down, or Jude down, but Noel, Hayden was so dead tired that she would not go down. We tried everything. We're trying to get, get her to watch Sophia the first. We're trying to get her to eat fruit snacks. We're trying to, she likes this thing where she says, touch my eye, but just one eye, not two. You can't do both eyes. You just have to touch one. And if you make the mistake of touching both eyes to try and make them heavy, you touch both eyes, all of a sudden you just, you cut her again. So just one eye. I mean, we're trying everything, and she is just screaming, throwing a fit. She's waking up Jude. It was the worst. It's the, I'm so tired, I can't sleep, and I want the world to suffer. One of the worst, though. This is the worst. The worst one of all of them is the, I'm in a restaurant, so why would I be normal cry? (laughs) Because the truth is, i got to be honest, like, Every parent thinks their kid's cute. Every parent thinks their kid is easy, either that or they just hate being parents. I know some of those. But we love being parents. And Hayden is actually, both of our kids are quite relatively easy. They sleep mostly through the night. They're well-behaved. As you can see, Hayden is very social. It's all that we could dream for our kids. 
but then you get her in a good mood and you go to a restaurant, all hell breaks loose. I used to judge parents. Food on the floor. Now I have compassion when I go to those places. And I used to even try and sweep it up afterwards. Now I just tip an extra dollar and say sorry. Because the truth is, you cannot control a two-year-old. It is impossible. And it's the worst when they just start screaming. I remember one time, Noelle and I, I don't remember what it was, but Hayden was about seven, eight months old, and she was the easiest baby at this point. She's happy, and we go into Red Robin. She's happy. We get our seat. She's happy. And then the moment we order, the server walks away, she turns into Satan. And she is screaming, and she's crying, and yelling, and throwing a fit. I have to walk her out, walk her around Home Depot, try and get her to calm down. Nothing. Eventually, we get our food in boxes, and we take it to go, because she just went nuts. It's the worst. It's funny, because when you think about all these kind of cries, eventually, you kind of get used to it, and you know what the cry really means. Because all of these cries, they are real. They're not fake, even though they are so fake. Because in her little mind, all she knows how to do to get her point across is to just lash out and scream and let you feel what she's feeling but doesn't know how to navigate the feelings. So she cries. So the cries are real, but they're fake. Now, side note, you don't get to tell me my kid's cry is fake. Like, there, there, there have been times where, like, I remember I was at the store with Hayden once, and we're there, and, and Hayden's just, you know, something happened. I think, you know, she saw a box of Cheerios and didn't get them, and, you know, as, as you know, all hell broke loose. And so I'm in the checkout, or I'm, I'm walking down an aisle, and this mom comes up to me, and she's like, oh, She's hungry, isn't she? I'm like, get out of here, lady. Yeah, she is, but don't talk to me. Get out of, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, like or, or, or one, one time she tripped, getting in the store, and this, this old lady, bless her heart, Oh, you're just faking it, aren't you? Shut up. I'll knock you over. I'm just, you know, and say that. I felt it. And then when she walked away, I was like, you're just faking it. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't make fun of my brother. I can, but you do. I'm going to punch you. You know that kind of thing? You feel that even more as a dad. Like, don't tell me that my kid's faking it. My kid's faking it, but it's my job because I'm dad. And I get to decide when my kid's faking it. And I think this is kind of what God does. We try and discern why other people are acting out in certain ways. When God is saying, that's not your job, that's my job. When God is saying, stop looking at the outward issues of people's lives as if it is your job to discern why their real feelings are lashing out in the way that they are. 
Isn't it funny how we like to look at other people's outworkings and judge what the root of it is when we're not even willing to get close and help them discover it for themselves and in love and compassion bring them out of it. We're easy to point the finger, but far be it from us to get down and sit with them and say, I see you're crying. I know there's something more here. I want to listen. Let's not even try and help people. Because why would we do that? You know what I mean? Like, why would I see somebody who, yes, they're acting out in a way that is unbecoming? Why would I do anything other than just point the finger and be thankful that I'm not them? Isn't it funny that that's what we do? And God's up here saying, hey, stop doing my job. It's my job. I'm their dad. I know their cry, I know the root, I'm dealing with it. Get out of here unless you're willing to get down dirty with them, sit with them, help somebody out of their dirt. Stop judging, stop looking at what you think you know about them. You don't know their struggle, you don't know their issues, you don't have the same narratives. So don't think for a second that you have the right to judge. It's a side note, you're welcome. I think, side note again, I think we need to do better at looking at the issues of people. And I'm not trying to say get near all your friends who are trying to pull you down. But when you see somebody who you want to judge, pause yourself. Especially when there's others around you want to start talking, you better pause yourself and ask yourself, am I willing to listen? Am I willing to sit next to them? Am I willing to forsake my own reputation so that I could sit with somebody who maybe on the outward looks like there's something going on, but I know there's more beneath the surface that they're wanting to talk about, but they don't know how. It's God's job. But it's interesting, when Hayden cries like this, it's never really about the thing, it's deeper. She's tired and she's hungry, or she's tired and hungry, or she's hungry and tired. Or some combination of hungry, tired, tired, and hungry. Or she's out of rhythm, needs time with mom and dad, needs routine. There's always something deeper when it comes to these surface cries. But being a dad, I know that there's a certain kind of cry that gets my attention in a different way. There's a different kind of cry. And you'll learn this when you become a dad. You'll learn this when you become a father or when you become a mom. When uh, the kid at the playground pushes your kid over and they feel bullied and they get hurt, like that one six-year-old a while ago at Chick-fil-A who's too old to be in there in the first place. I've never seen Noel more mad (laughs) at a (laughs) six-year-old. He's like guarding it. No, you can't come in here. You're too little. Like, I'll come in there. I'm not too little. I'll fit up there and I'll kick you down. And I did. And he ran out crying. I'm just kidding. But the feelings that you get there, right? Or the feelings when you see your kid struggling or in trouble. And uh, there, was, there was a night recently, middle of the night. And uh, we, have the, we have Hayden in the other room. And, uh, but... You, we have a monitor so we can still hear when she's up or if she's running around or making noise or whatever. 
and there was this cry. She just suddenly started screaming. And I hopped up so quick, and I ran out of the room, and I ran into her room, where I could obviously tell that she'd had a bad dream. I didn't know what the dream was. She's three, and almost three. She'll be three in just a couple weeks. And so she's starting to have thoughts and all that kind of stuff that are more than just what a, you know, a baby or a toddler would have. She's, she's having more real thoughts and understanding things and can articulate things. And so I go in there, and she's screaming, and you can tell she's shaking, and she's afraid, and she's crying. And I said, it's okay, Daddy's here. And I picked her up, and I squeezed her. I squeezed her. I said, give me a big, tight hug. This is what I do if she's hurting. I said, give me a big, tight hug. And I laid right there, and we laid on the ground. And she cried for a few minutes. And then eventually, the cry kind of subsided. And we both fell asleep for the next little bit. She fell asleep in my arms. And those are the best moments. But I comforted her. The first thing I said, I said, Daddy's here. It's okay. Daddy loves you. Daddy's here. Daddy loves you. Daddy's here. It's okay. It's okay. Daddy's here. My voice started to calm her. My presence started to calm her. I can tell you there have been moments in my time as a dad where I hear little baby crying, oh, gosh, we can't get any sleep. Oh, we can't catch a break. Oh, our kid's sick again. Oh, that's the worst. But in this moment in particular, there was no feeling of frustration. There was not one ounce of tiredness in me. There was no anger that I was woken up in the middle of the night. My 100% feeling was my kid is in trouble and I'm dad. And you better know I'm rushing to her her defense. I'm going to get in her presence. I'm going to be there. And I believe that this reflects the heart of God. It's the ever presence of God. Psalm 46.1, we read it. God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever present help in trouble. Trouble, that word means magnitude or weight. Something that is coming against you that is heavy or profound. Ever present, two, two Hebrew words made together that, that means exceeding force, muchness, an inescapable, always around presence. A never unaware but constantly Making one's presence known. Here's what you need to know. God hears your cries. God knows how to discern them. And when he hears you, he rushes and he wants to make his presence known. He rushes in and he says, I'm here. Here. Daddy's here. You don't need to fear anymore. Dad's here. You don't need to worry anymore. Dad's here. 
the ever-presence of God. He knows when to call your bluff. He knows when to tell you to cry it out, which, believe me, there are times that you just need to get over it. But he knows when to rush to your defense. He knows when to come in and pick you up and squeeze you and say, I'm here. I'm here. I don't know what kind of crier you are, but uh, I want to talk about three different kind of kinds of cries, so to speak. There's three different kinds of cries. And we'll loop back to this passage in just a moment and we'll wrap it up. The first kind of cry is the tired cry. It's the tired cry. It says, some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. A city where they could settle. If you think about it, God's goal for you is that you would find a place that is home. It's belonging. It's rest. So God's goal for you, friends, I want you to hear this, is not that you would find yourself in a constant state of tension and resistance and hashtag drama. I give you guys a hard time. There's some people in this week, it's like, oh, there's all this drama. Like, yeah, you're a magnet for it. You, you like drama. Let's not pretend like you hate it. The only people who don't like drama are the ones who don't have it. The, the ones who have it like it. You're addicted to it. But anyways, God's goal is not a perpetual state of drama, resistance, frustration. God's goal for you, which you see through the nation of Israel, you see through the people of God, God's goal was always that they would find a place of belonging, comfort, and rest. God wants that for us, and God wants that for you. Some of you, your home situation is opposite of that. But God's goal for you is still that you would be in a state of rest and consistent awareness of God's presence, his presence with you. It's the tired cry. See, this is one that Hayden has, and you know the tell. The tell for Hayden's I'm tired is when she's screaming and saying, it's not nap time. It's not nap time. And it's, it's funny because we'll get her and say, hey, we're going to go upstairs. No, it's not nap time. It's not nap time. No, it's bedtime. But she says it's not nap time. It's so funny because we're, here, we're saying, Hayden, I know you don't think you're tired, but the very thing you need is the thing that you're resisting. Like you're resisting the rest that we want to take you to. We want to put you down, not so that we can watch Netflix and chill. We want to put you down because you need rest so that you can do tomorrow what you need to do. Netflix and chill might be a byproduct of her being asleep. <laughs> but whatever. 
But let's be real. Some of you, friends, you think, you think that the reason that God wants to get you to this place is so that he can hold you back. But the reason, let me tell you, friends, as a father, the reason that God wants you to get to this place is so that you can be free. It's so that you can function. It's so that he knows when you're tired, you can't do what you're called to do. When you're worn out, you start to lash out, don't you? I mean, think about it. What do you do when you're tired? You're not yourself, are you? You start to lash out on people. You give them the weird eyes. It's like, don't talk to me, I'm tired. When you're tired, you don't function the way that you're supposed to. You push people away. People don't see your best. You start to fall into your own habits. I don't know a single person who has a habit that does that habit when they're wide awake in a good moment. They do it when they're tired. Your judgment gets hindered. So God's goal for you, friends, if you hear this, God's goal for you is not to anchor you down and just make you stuck. God's goal for you is to get you to the place where you can do what you want to do and what he's called you to do. You think that the reason that you got to go to church is because if you don't, then you will be judged or someone will have something against you or whatever. No, the reason that you do this consistently is because it builds into you the fortitude that you need that when you don't have consistency in your life, you can lean into the one thing that is steady. I'm not here to make you do anything. I don't care if you show up to church or you read your Bible, or you pray, or you lean into the things of God and say no to the things of the world. Because it's not about whether you do or don't do those things. It's what those things produce in you that I care about. Because I'm tired of seeing people saying that they're tired, being frustrated that they're tired, but they're like a three-year-old saying, it's not nap time. It's funny, we think that we've graduated, friends. No, we've just complicated it. We're the same old people that we've been since we were three years old saying it's not nap time. You're tired. But what God wants to give you, friends, is a state of rest, a state of belonging, a state of consistency. It's where you can reset. What do you, think about it. When you go to bed, what do you do? Some of you take showers at night. I'm a morning showers kind of person. But in my state of rest, I go to sleep, I get the rest I need, I wake up, hopefully before my two children, not much anymore. <laughs> Thanks, kids. I love it, though. But it's where you reset. You get clean. You, you think about your day. You start over. Friends, God wants to give you what you say you want. Let me say it again. God wants to give you what you've always said you want. God wants to give you what you say you want. You don't want drama? No, you don't. You do. You love it. Because if you really didn't want it, then you'd find yourself in the place where there's consistency away from the drama you say you hate. But you're tired. And when we're tired, we're not ourselves. Second kind of cry is the hungry cry. 
says they were hungry. This is the other passage of scripture in Psalm 107. It says they were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. So when you're hungry, you'll eat anything. When you're hungry, you'll eat Cheez-Its at 1 a.m. After having corn dogs and uh, mac and not cheese for lunch. Hey, I, I'm just finna TBH. That was not, that might have been some mac, but there was no cheese in that. But the corn dogs, I'm all about the corn dogs. You, you can mess up corn dogs, but hey, I ate three of them and I, I, I loved it. But it's funny because you get the late, especially at camp, you get the late night munchies, you know what I mean? You drink the off-brand soda that no one likes, but you like it at camp when it's late, you know what I mean? Like the, the diet purple squirt or whatever, it's like, who drinks that ever? No one. Okay soda, you know what I'm talking about? Or like brisk iced tea? I saw some guys with that in their cabin, like what? You don't like that? Nobody likes that stuff. And you're drinking it because it's 1 a.m. and you're thirsty. But see, when you're hungry, you'll eat anything. You eat Jesus at 1 a.m., but when you're hungry and eat Jesus at 1 a.m., you also at 3 a.m. get to experience the other side of the glory of those Cheez-Its. And just like Cheez-Its at 1 a.m. will always cause you to have some other issues at 3 a.m., can I tell you, your girlfriend trying to fill what the last girlfriend didn't fill will still produce the same thing that the last girlfriend did. And so you constantly going from relationship to relationship thinking that this time it will be different is you fooling yourself into thinking that it will ever be anything different than the last time because God's trying to say, when you're hungry, I've got you some stuff that will never run dry. I've got you some stuff that will actually leave you satisfied, but you keep going to the Cheez-Its at 1 a.m., you keep going to the relationship that will never satisfy you. Friends, if you're trying to figure this out with a girl or a guy, I can tell you right now, I will prophesy over your life that it will not work because the only thing that will ever, ever, ever satisfy you is purpose in Christ. That is it. There is nothing else. There is no other way. You can try until you are blue in the face, but it will not work. And if you try, you will find that the same thing that happens over and over and over will keep happening over and over and over. I'm not trying to prophesy negativity. I'm trying to invite you into eating something that will actually satisfy you. We're all hungry. We all have an unquenchable hunger and thirst in us. It's a cliche, but there is a God-shaped hole in our 
spiritual stomachs work with the analogy. But there truly is, friends. And you can try and try and try. You can fill it with money, future plans, career, girls, stuff. Go for it. But I promise you, the only thing that will satisfy is Jesus. Is it cliche? Sure. Is it true? Absolutely. I'm not here to prophesy negativity, friends. Again, I'm not try, trying to hold something over you. I'm trying to invite you into finding the thing that will give you purpose and life everlasting. It's his presence. It's his heart. It's his ways. It's his purpose, love, his house. When you lean into these things, it's like you sow seeds. You will reap what you sow. We're all hungry, we're all thirsty. We're all tired. But there's another, there's another kind of cry, and it's the trouble cry. This is the kind of cry that you can't avoid. This is the kind of cry that hurts. This is the real one. It's pain. It's heartbreak. Mom and dad, you couldn't do anything to change it. You tried. And the pain, it's real. You lost your grandma 20 years too early. You can't change it. It's just real pain. Brokenness that you caused. You hit rock bottom. I'm going to invite the band to come forward as we get ready to close here. About 11.30 on uh, Sunday night, Noel and I are up getting our last stuff ready for camp. Kind of working on our thoughts for our messages and some last stuff. And I get a text from someone who sat in these seats about seven, eight years ago. For many years, some people in this room even know this person. And this person, over a series of events and choices and things, has um, somehow beaten the odds and is still alive, but in every way possible has derailed their life into utter chaos. You can literally see it on their face when you see them, you can feel it. They're unsatisfied and empty. And it hurts, it's sad, it's tough. I'm thankful that somehow God has kept us a little bit connected. And 11.30 at night, I get a text from this person. Hey, I know you're going to camp, but when you get back, can we talk? I said, sure, man, what's going on? He said, dude, I've hit rock bottom. And I, he's like, I don't know what to do, but I can't do this anymore. I'm done. The pain's too real. This is too hard. I'm empty, bro. I said, this is what I've been waiting, bro. This is what I've been waiting for. You better know that the day after I get back, we're getting together. Some of us, we find ourselves in these places where 
we've hit rock bottom. Maybe you haven't, but you're on your way down. Maybe you put yourself there. Maybe life circumstances put you there. Maybe things people said put you there. Maybe stuff that was out of your control has happened and you just feel out of sorts. You don't know how to deal with the pain. You've tried to numb it. You've tried everything you can, but you just feel empty. But when you cry out to God, He hears it. He runs to you. We used to sing this song, it said, whisper His name and He will answer you. Call out His name and He will come to you. Shout out His name and He will come running to you. And I believe tonight that some of us in here, we found ourselves in whatever state it might be, your life may not be in chaos, but there are things going on. It's the inward cries and you don't know what to do. And God is saying, if you'll call out to me, I will run to you. I will run to you. And like I did nights ago to my daughter, I ran so fast. I didn't know what happened. All I heard was a thud and screaming. A lot of times what she'll do is she'll get up and she'll start hitting or kicking the side of her, her crib, her bed. It's like, it's this real loud thing and it echoes because it hits the wall. So I didn't know what had happened, but I heard it and I ran so fast right to her rescue because I'm a good dad and I love my daughter. And I'm not going to let her sit in any pain that she doesn't need to be in. I'm going to run to her. God is saying, I see your pain. I know what happened two years ago. And my heart, my heart hurts too. I know what your parents did and it hurt. And it hurts me too. And I know what you heard those people say at school when you were walking around the corner and they didn't know you were there. Or even worse, they said it to your face. And I heard it and I feel it too. And I know you act out in these ways, but I know what your dad said to you that caused your downward spiral and you don't know how to function anymore. So really you doing these things, he says, son, I see beneath the surface, I know what's really going on. I see your pain. I feel your hurt. And I know at the end of the day, all you really need is the word from your dad that says he likes you and he's proud of you. I know that's all you're looking for and you're not finding it, but I want to say I see it. And if you'll call out to me, I'll run to you. you've had challenges that no 14 or 15 year old should ever have to face and you're not ready for it you feel weighed down by it it's heavy God hears it God sees it God feels it he says I'm running to you would you bow your heads close your eyes.
think it begins where we do with my friend Sunday night did he sent the text started the conversation he reached out when I sit down with him I'm gonna say dude you've been screwing up I'm not gonna hold it against him but it is part of it isn't it we gotta acknowledge God doesn't pretend that he doesn't see what you've done because some of us if we're being honest we put ourselves there sit with him I'm going to say welcome home I've been waiting God is waiting for you to cry out God is waiting for you to reach out. You've been waiting for somebody else to reach out. You've been waiting for him to reach out. He already reached out. And he's pursuing you, but you crying out might mean you need to let him in. He's been standing at your door knocking. He's not going to come in and weigh this all down on you. He's not going to come in and say, all right, you got to fix this and this and this. He's going to come in and he's going to sit with you. He's going to listen. It's the ever presence of God. What I love about it is that as this ends, it says, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. God's promise. just that he'll come to you but that he will lead you there's a song we sang in the, the 80s and 90s it's from a scripture it says that he's lifted me he's taken me from the miry clay he's lifted me and he set my feet upon a rock firm foundation God is not like a human father who says match up to what I expect and maybe someday you'll earn what I've hoped that you've always, you would always fulfill God is a father that he comes to your rescue when you're broken Scripture says in Psalm 34 that he is near to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit. He rushes to their defense. 
But he doesn't just come to you. He picks you up, throws you over his shoulder, and he takes you to a place setting your feet upon a rock that you might know that no matter what comes your way, you cannot be shaken. That no thing, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That there's nothing that could come your way that will take you out because you are guarded now and your feet are planted on the rock that cannot be shaken. God doesn't just want to come to your rescue. He wants to lead you to a new way. Tonight, if you're tired, you've been giving yourself to the wrong things, your judgment's been impaired, same habits and routines going back to the old stuff, this moment's for you. Tonight, if you're hungry, you've been trying to satisfy with that relationship, you know it's you. I don't have to tell you. Been trying to satisfy with your plans about your future, just like Michaela talked this morning, that somehow the answer is eventually going to, if I force it, will eventually be what I've always wanted it to be. God is saying, you're hungry, you're just eating the wrong stuff. And I'll lead you to a place. A place that I've promised for you. It's like a land of milk and honey. Overflowing. Where there's more than enough to go around. This is God's desire for you. You're hungry tonight? God says, come to me, I'll feed you. I'll give you the rest you need. Maybe you're the third person, you've been broken. You've experienced some loss. Somebody has really hurt you, really let you down. Some people might think they know why you hurt they don't experience your tears at night. They're not with you when the devil's talking to you at 3 a.m. saying this is gonna take you out. Some of you, the devil's literally been talking to you. You've had oppressive thoughts and words not just spoken over you, you hear it. All you ever hear is negativity, death, destruction, no future. But as far as I'm concerned, that there's power in the name of Jesus. That when I call upon the name of Jesus, I don't believe, friends, that it's empty words. It is not by accident that every single night when we put our daughter to bed that we sing, Healing will flow at the mention of the name of Jesus. That sickness must go as we speak forth his name. And Hayden will be restored in Jesus' name. Even when she's not sick, she wants to sing it. Why? 
Because we're going to raise her up believing that when she calls upon the name of Jesus, that he comes running to her. That she's got his number. That she's got him on speed dial. That the moment she calls out the name of Jesus, he is there in a heartbeat. Friends, when you call upon the name of Jesus, he does not give you empty promises, but these promises are backed by the honor of his name. He comes running to you. He sees your pain. He says, I will be with you in the pain. He says, I don't judge you. You are not too far gone. You are not too dirty. You are not too messed up. You have not done too many wrong things. I'm with you and I will lead you to a place where I can set your feet on solid ground, where I can give you food that will satisfy, that you will be able to drink and never be thirsty again. Friends, if you wanna call upon the name of Jesus tonight, would you stand to your feet and come down here and begin to worship God and say, God, I'm calling upon you. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what my future holds, but I believe that when I call upon the name of Jesus, that I am saved, that I'm redeemed, and I'm gonna tell the world that God has rescued me, that God has set me free, that he has made me new, that he's making me whole. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. Sometimes what it looks like is we, I don't know if you've ever done this, maybe you wanted to call a girl, you're too nervous, so you like, you hit call and then you hang up right away, because your AJ's like, yeah. Because you're not sure if they're going to answer, you know what I mean? You don't know if they'll like answer. You don't know if they're gonna come through. Do you call upon the name of Jesus wondering will he respond? Hang up the phone, oh, okay. No, he's probably not gonna answer. I'm here to tell you that when you call, seek, he will be found. When you knock, the door gets open. When you ask, you will receive. Do you want it? Come on, lift your hands. Do you want it? Do you want the healing or do you want to hope that it might come, but if it doesn't, well, maybe it just wasn't for me. Do you want to be restored? Do you want a new mind? Do you want a new way of thinking? Do you want a new way of living? Do you want to be pulled out of this pit that has held you down so long? 
So I'm here to tell you that we do not serve a God who is empty, who is distant. We serve a God who is near and he is close to the brokenhearted. He runs to the rescue of those who call upon his name. And time and time again, Israel, they ran from God. They denied God. And time and time again, they cried out to God. And God says, I hear your cry, and I will come and rescue you because you are my people. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I do not abandon my kids. When they cry, I don't care if they're tired. When they cry, I don't care if they're hungry because I exist to fill them with what they need. God sees your needs. God sees your hopes. God sees your fears. And as you call out, to the name of Jesus. Come on, just begin to call out in your own words. Just begin to ask God for what you want.